This is Haunted Garage. I'm your host, Frankie, and with me, as always, Jeremy David King. So strap in, smash that pedal, and ride with us down the paranormal highway. Let's debunk and find the truth behind every ghost story in the world of transportation. Welcome to Haunted Garage. Let's rev it. Welcome back to Haunted Garage. I'm your host, Frankie Cambaletta, and with me as always... Jeremy David King. Jeremy David King, this is our first show on the new format of Haunted Garage, and I am so excited that we're kicking off with one of our famous past episodes when we were Graveyard Shift, where we talked about film. This one includes a film that is not only a cult classic, but it's a car lover horror film. This has everything. It's got it all. It has, this episode is for everyone. If you're not into cars, you're going to be into cars. If you're not into the paranormal, you're going to be into the paranormal. Because not only are we going over Christine, but we're going over the real Christine. The Goat Kill the Eager! Christine the film is released on December 8th, 1983. The box office showing is dismal at best. But that does not negate how great the film is. It would later pick up speed, especially now in the retro age where we're looking back at films and being like, man, that was a really good film. Why didn't it do well? There's a bunch of reasons why. One of the reasons that I believe possibly is because of when the book is released. So the book releases April 29th, 1983. It's only a few months before the movie. So they they greenlit this movie before the book was even, you know, released publicly. And with the book release and the film release, it was still considered a misfire, uh, both by Stephen King fans and by John Carpenter fans. Both the box office returns on this and the critical reaction were middling to mediocre, especially considered the talent involved. And you have to understand, too, this is this is a time period where this is really going to start to set fire to the horror genre as the slashers come out as this is like the heyday of the slashers. Absolutely. You've had Friday the 13th and Halloween's already happened a year later. We're going to have nightmare on Elm street. So, I mean, those are like the heavy hitters right there. And speaking of Friday the 13th, Kevin Bacon is actually in Friday the 13th. He's one of the victims. He actually turns down the role of this film to do, Footloose. One of my favorite films. More exciting news about Christine, though. <laughs> John Cusack actually auditions for the cast of Arnie. And we're both fans of him. Love, love John that guy. Cusack. He's done several Stephen King movies. Yes, loves Stephen King, loves the writing. He actually does not get the part, but who does get the part? Keith Gordon. Keith Gordon. And you got to love Keith Gordon. Keith Gordon is one of these, doesn't do a bunch of movies, but the movies that he is in You've are seen cult him. classics. You've seen him. Jaws 2. Yep. He was in Jaws 2, Back to School with uh, Rodney Dangerfield. And, of course, Christine. Christine is his big role. You really start to see his character on wine in Christine. You see his acting ability in Christine. And what is he doing today? As it stands today, he's actually been directing Fargo, the new TV shows from 2015 to 2020. And that's a huge hit for him as he stays active in the film community. John Carpenter, however, the director of Christine has also stayed fairly active within this genre of 
films when it relates to cars. John Carpenter loves to use cars in films. In Christine, it's no exception. You will see uh, Buddy's car, which is a 1967. Chevy Camaro. It's just a beautiful car. And then you have his best friend's car in the film, which is a... It's a, I believe it's a 68 Charger. Yeah, Round so. marker lights on the front fenders. Yellow bullets. Yep. The little bullet backs. Um, so you get to see a bunch of different muscle cars within John Carpenter movies. And now anytime you watch a John Carpenter, don't always look at the actors. Don't always look at the, the extras. But look at the extras on four wheels. It's not a Carpenter movie. But Christine actually makes a cameo in another Stephen King movie. Does it really? The beginning of a movie called Cat's Eye, okay. Christine drives through. That's awesome. And it just passes through. There's this whole thing about Stephen King's Maine. Yeah. So there's towns that you can put on a map, but they're not there. John Carpenter was actually in the middle of adapting one of Stephen King's books while he is called to do Christine. And that book, of course, is Firestarter. Oh, yeah. So, I forgot. And Firestarter would come out in the following years with the, the, my love of my life, Drew, Drew Barrymore, Barrymore, which I will marry one day. But let's talk about my first love, Jeremy. It's about a 1958 Plymouth Fury. Fury. Cue the car specs. Let's <laughs> Let's talk about the car specs for the movie, Christine. We have some fun facts about the movie first, right? We got a lot of facts about it. A lot of fun facts. Tell me about the neighborhood that the Christine was actually shot in. So if the neighborhood in Christine looks super familiar, you must also be a John Carpenter fan because he also filmed in Haddonfield, Illinois. And where is Haddonfield, Illinois? Technically, it's uh, like in uh, a suburb of uh, Los Angeles, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually home to Michael Myers in the acclaimed film, the best film, the most Halloweeny film. Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> so what's fun about this show is that we're going to go into just, you know, this is kind of our first show. It's kind of a little bit of an intro. Um, we've rehearsed this a thousand different times. We have notes in front of us where it's a very different complex show. We're trying to keep each episode that we do under 37 minutes for commuter traffic because we believe in 2021 the world's going to get back to the normal of commuting so. back and forth. Me too. Christine is said to be a 1958 Plymouth Fury which had similar panels and trim to the 1957 model. When the Fury line was introduced, it was essentially a sport and trim package on the Belvedere, notably with two doors, gold anodized trim and gold grill, and dual four-barrel carburetors. Christine, as shown in the movie, could have been any two-door Belvedere with a 318 or a 360 engine for Mopar. <laughs> Mopar. Although over 5,300 Furies and far more Belvedere's were built in 1958, they have since become very rare and are now collector's items. There were between 13 and 16, depending on the source, Belvedere's Furies smashed in the making of the movie, out of roughly 25 used. But it is unknown whether they were 1957 or 1958, or a combination in any event. Plymouth enthusiasts were very very infuriated, although the movie did popularize the car and probably saved many of them in the same way that Back to the Future in 1985 did for the DeLorean. Great Scott! In the original Stephen King book, the car had four doors, 
But this was changed to the two-door model when it was realized that there was never a four-door 1958 Plymouth Fury. Although all 1958 Plymouth Furies had buckskin beige interior, gold anodized aluminum side trim and grille, the book mentions that this particular car was custom-ordered in Ford Red. You said a four-letter F word. I know, that's kind of like a curse, and we said we weren't going to be vulgar. Yeah, well, we got to say it one more time. Oh, do we? Why is that? Well, it turns out that they weren't using uh, the Plymouth Furies, you know, engine noise for the movie. It turned out it was a 1970 Mustang. Oh, a boss, huh? Yeah, it was a, a 428. Boss. Yeah, the Super Cobra Jet. Uh, well, you I know. I mean, it sounds better than the, I guess it sounds better than the Fury did. Yeah, the Fury would have just been all carburetor. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> The thing, the thing that's really funny though, Jeremy, as we as we go through this, that is basically the specs for the car. And when you've watched the car, you know some of the characters like Arnie, who's this kid that we do know about this Stephen King book. Can you can you share with us a little bit about how this plot was a lot like another film? Bullying is a common theme in many Stephen King movies, but there's another movie that, just like Arnie. They get bullied to the point where they become the villain. And that movie is... Cue best band from the 80s to tell you the title of that film. But it's also there's also several other several other books. Dreamcatcher, it, Stand By Me. It's kind of a theme with Stephen King. Uh, probably was bullied when he was a kid, but he's not our focus today. Some of the other cool things though about the conflict between the actual real Christine, which is actually not a 1958 Plymouth Fury. It is a Dodge. It is a Mopar. It's still a Mopar. But you'd have to kind of flash forward a couple years, almost six years, to what, a 1964? It's a 64 Dodge 330 limited edition. A total of 76,400 of those were built. 44,800 had a slant six. Not a bad motor. Nope. It's reliable. It's dead reliable and internally balanced. Correct. And uh, there was 31,600 with the V8s. Those are the ones she wants. And, in fact, you could get a 426. I mean, that's pretty. That's a Hemi. Yep. You're getting into the Hemi. She got a Hemi in it. You got a Hemi in that. What was the max speed of that? Um, So the the best they could do would be with a four-speed with a 426. It was 127 miles an hour. So the reason why we mention that is because that's an important tidbit, because as we get into the story of the Golden Eagle, we're going to circle back. So I want you guys to remember that the top speed saying that this was a four speed, four, two, six, Hammy would have been 127 miles per hour. What was the gas mileage on that? 9.6 miles per gallon with a 15 gallon tank. So that gives you what, about 150 miles? A little less. (laughs) A little less on a full tank. That's important. 
So we'll pause now for station identification. This is the High Gear Network. Before we get rolling back in, it's a shout out to O'Reilly's in Taylorville. All our friends over there always helping us out with our cars, as well as the Decatur O'Reilly's. Thanks so much, guys, for all your help and support. This message is brought to you by O'Reilly's, a Springfield, Missouri company. It's true. All right. So we're back. That was our little sponsor break. But now we're going to get into the Golden Eagle, the Dodge. 1964 330 limited edition. We know a lot of this from a lady by the name of Wendy Allen, who will become very popular in the next couple minutes here. Wendy Allen is actually the owner, the alleged owner, of the Golden Eagle, also known as the Death Car, the Evil Car, the Evil One. The Demon Possessed Car. The Demon Possessed Car. These are all the things that come that resonate with the actual film. And a lot of people believe that Stephen King's inspiration came from this Golden Eagle. But in our findings, we could not ascertain that information. In fact, even on Stephen King's own website, it has nothing to do with this 1964 evil car. None at all. In fact, the name Christine comes from when he was on the set of Creepshow. With George and Christine Romero. Where he gets the idea for the original plot line of the film. But then there's another thing that he mentions on his website that I found fascinating. And that's when... He was idling into his driveway. And the odometer is on 9,999. And it rolls over to 10,000. And he has this, I guess, idea in his head that if the car odometer would roll backwards... And the car would get new again. It's kind of the theme of how, you know, Christine, no, spoiler alert, Christine fixes herself after destroying herself. Exactly. Or if she gets dented, if she gets into an accident. There's a scene in the movie where bullies come in and they beat the car up really bad. Well, she ends up taking revenges on all of them if you haven't seen the movie because that's what she does. She collects the people that hate her. Now, the real car doesn't have that ability. But the abilities that the, the car has shown is that it takes the life of those who've driven in it. The original owner of the 1964 Dodge 330 Limited Edition was the Old Orchard Beach Police Department. Yes, they. so it was purchased as a police cruiser. And, you know, going to the specs on that, we could never, I looked everywhere, could not find the specs. So I did some digging. I went to Chips, if you guys don't know that. Officer Poncherello and John Baker. However, California Highway Patrol. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, I I dug through their website because they have an archive of old cars that they used, and also Missouri and Michigan. And all of them pretty much bought this car with a 383, which is a big block, and three-speed auto. So we're looking at still approximately 9.6 miles per gallon and 120 mile an hour uh, top speed. So the 426 Hemming would have gotten next to seven miles an hour at 127. But we're thinking that this car was an actual 383 from Dodge. Now... That's a big block for Dodge. If you're in Chevy, a 383 is still a small block because usually a 350 is bored and stroked. Right. So 
little car knowledge there. That's what this is all about. These are facts. <laughs> or not really. The biggest fact of all of it, and I think for the me, the most paranormal aspect of it, is the five-hour trip. What happens in the five-hour trip? Pretty simple. Burn victim happened. Young child. The fire department now has possession of this car. So this is the Golden Eagle. They put the kid in the car, and then they proceed to drive over 200 miles an hour for five hours or 300 miles. Remember when I told you to keep certain aspects of this car and the specs of this car in your head? Well, here's where that's going to be important because the strangest thing about this is St. Jude's Hospital it resides 300 miles outside of where they need to get. But the firefighters claim that they never stopped for gas and it was a straight shot. That people saw flames coming out of the bottom of the car. There was no, yeah, there was no tread left back. They, they were down to the steel cords. People claimed that they saw blue flames coming off the tires. But the, the, the craziest thing to me is knowing that this car has a range of about 150 miles, give or take. And remember, those EPA ratings are at 55 miles an hour. This car is going over 200. At one point, I even read 240. So, 200 miles an hour, they're definitely not getting that 9.6. And that's where the paranormal lends its hand. Where the police officers that own this car at one point, and we'll get into that in a second, believe the car was evil and put it up for sale and sold it, the firefighters thought it was some kind of supernatural being from an angelic form that they were actually helping, that this car was the fastest car to get people from point A to point B when they needed to rescue someone. First of all, the Dodge 330 LE is not that big a car. I mean, it is a full-size car, and they did say they could fit eight people in it, but that isn't very uncomfortable. So there's a lot of interesting aspects that happen that are not in actually the film, Christine, but this car's lore grows and it grows exponentially so that is the craziest story that because we can actually prove that that's not true that you can't get into that car and drive 200 miles an hour that you would have unstoppable power that you would have to stop or pull over at least three times to go 300 miles so a lot of that can be debunked pretty easily but this is where the supernatural kind of comes in right if it is under the influence of supernatural it can possibly do anything now, whether or not Stephen King read into any of this, because we couldn't find one article about any of this. None. I'm a huge Stephen King fan, and I didn't know about this car. Like, I know a lot of stuff, background stuff about Stephen King. I had never heard of this car. So now we're going to dig a little bit deeper into some of the other craziness that surround the Golden Eagle. Three police officers who were in the car allegedly go home kill their families, and kill themselves. Now, we found one report of this, but it happens in 2009, and that's Bruce Savoy. Right. Goes home, kills himself and his wife. But when he was with the department, it wasn't at the same time. It was a totally different time period, right? So, it, you know, but that's going back on, is the story even real? We know the guy is. We know he was real. A, we know he actual... was a police officer. Correct. Because that was in the, that was in the report. 
And the other two officers really don't have names. One is called Babe. The other one's Adam S. But allegedly, these officers also go home, kill their families and themselves, murder suicides. One child was struck by a car and landed on the hood of the Golden Eagle and died. While another was hit by a car and landed under the front bumper where they died. Dead animals are alleged to be found around the car, nearly daily, all seeming to be electrocuted. Wendy Allen claims to have had the animals examined by a vet. And this vet is like, yep, you fried them. On May 10th, 2010, members of the Sacco or Sacco Ward Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, so Mormons, allegedly tore the Dodge apart by chaining the car to the bumpers of trucks and having them drive in separate directions. This was led by Joe Bailey, who was also believed to be involved with the 2006 bombing of the car. Then the car was removed and sent to five different salvage yards. It was estimated to cost $57,000 to get the car running up again and $500,000 to restore it to new to the rarity and lack of parts to replace it. When the Dodge was placed in the crusher, the town had a blackout until the Dodge was removed. It was from May 10th through the 15th. 2010 yeah they, they the claims i read about that was it the blackout literally ended the moment they pulled that car out of the crusher i mean how it's nuts like this car has power over the entire town well allegedly it, it was out there driving around without a driver <laughs> the car has been struck by lightning two times, and four people who were involved in one of the several times the car was vandalized were killed by lightning strikes. A woman who attempted to exercise the Golden Eagle later was decapitated in a car accident when she drove under the trailer of an 18-wheeler. They, they called in these MUFON scientists. And I'm saying scientists with uh, my fingers wiggling, like, you know, because they say that the car radiates radiation at a rate that it was like in a nuclear meltdown. But they believe this is because there's an amphibious alien living in it. So the MUFON scientists claim an amphibious intruder or alien residing in the car, causing the car to become nuclear hot to the touch. Impossible. Electronics will not work in the car. Watches, phones, and calculators will not work after being in the car. Batteries will explode if left in the car. Photos of the car are either blurry or do not turn out. There are even reports of film melting in the camera and destroying the camera. However... For so many people that are allegedly intruding on this lady's property to check out this car, there is an amazingly small amount of pictures. There's like four pictures of this car. And all the websites have the same four or five pictures. Yes, because the car is not in plain view anymore. Wendy Allen actually keeps it in storage under lock and key. And it's a, in a different town now. 
Yeah. The hood is very hard to open and has taken three men to open it. And it has also slammed on people's hands, breaking fingers. The trunk has locked people inside. The trunk also has antique chainsaws and harpoons. And every time they are removed, they find them in the trunk again. The car is said to unbuckle the rear seatbelts and open the rear doors to throw people out of the car. So it's got an ejector seat. Maybe James Bond had this car. Maybe. Maybe it was the original James Bond car. It would be like the James Bond car for like America, though. Oh, yeah. You know, hopefully probably, Hemi Probably power. not, though. Hemi this, this was also a... Uh, Silver car at at that time, and then was um, hand painted. Yeah, it was so that somebody brush painted it flat gold. I distinctly ordered the uh, Antarctic Blue Super Sports Wagon with the CB and the optional Rally Fun Pack. You didn't order the uh, Metallic P? Metallic P? No, Antarctic Blue. And that's actually the second owner. Let's talk about um, who's the car's changed hands a couple times so let's talk about that so i think we've established the first owner was old orchard beach uh, police department and after all those deaths allegedly you think you hate it now but wait till you drive it they sold it to a guy named dr Shell. we don't know much about him except that he hand painted the car with a brush flat gold and he called the car Christine. Like yeah. that's that's like the only real connection between the book and this. Thing. So this is the first time that the actual name Christine is used, and it comes from some research that if you do some digging online, and you know I was perusing some uh, podcasts today that they they talk about, and their shows are just mediocre at best. I mean, this show is really funny, but. Aside from that, you know, tooting our own horn here, because we've been we've been at this for a while. We're doing um, it. the third owner. So the third owner is a guy named David Marcotte. David Marcotti. No, it says Marcotte. <laughs> and he paints this car the metallic orange. Um, and it's called Copper Penny. It's a Cadillac GM color from '64. And it is true, it does check out. I have seen a bunch of Cadillacs in that color. It is pretty beautiful. Yeah, I like that color. It's like a burnt orange. It's nice. I like orange. Somehow, the current owner it does have... I don't know if they're related or they just know each other. She has a website, and she does talk about you know, being in the car with this guy. With David Marcotte, sure. And so he owns this car. The police department only owns this car for a year. So in 65 to 72, that's when the doctor buys it. 72 to 75, David Marcotte owns it. In 75, he sells it to Kenneth Ricker Allen. He's the guy who is the fireman. That we talked about earlier. Right. At 200 miles an hour. Now, Kenneth Ricker Allen is related to Wendy Allen. I don't know. I don't think it's her father. It might be an uncle. I think it is an uncle. There is a relation there. And so from 75 to 83, he owns it. He uses it as a first responder vehicle, which we just covered. So they, yeah, yeah, they put the lights on it and it could seat up to eight firefighters and victims and stuff like that. And the reason why they use it is because this car was faster than the ambulances of the day. And that might actually be true. Even if it was a a six cylinder, it might've been faster than the ambulances. Of course. But with a big block, I'm sure it is. And then in 83, 
it enters uh, Wendy Allen's family. And I think she's our age. Yeah. I think maybe her parents bought it. Because she does reference her parents, and she's like, everybody knows my parents are. But I think she must Well, have... she claims that her per- parents are insane. Yeah. So, I mean... I mean, some of the stories that she told online, they sound insane. Yeah, and so Wendy Allen is the owner, the current owner, 1983 to current. Now, I've gone to her website. I don't know where she's keeping this car. She was homeless for a while. I don't know necessarily... If the stories are true, the the crazy stories do happen. So Wendy it, Allen, it's a heck of a. It, you know what? If you haven't read it, you should because it's entertaining. Yeah, it's L Cat. That's E E L K A T dot com so forward slash Golden Eagle, and you can read more about it. I'm not going to cover everything. It's plagiarism. This is her work. I just want to kind of touch it over. I mean, she has some really good writings on here. I mean, she is talented. Um, for a person I don't want to sit up here and, and, and so many people and so many people that I've listened to and so many articles really bash her as this crazy psycho person. And you know what? She's a town eccentric. She's a cosplay. She has numerous videos on the game Witcher where she does have some very high scores. So she's pretty competitive on the online gaming scene. Wendy Allen is where most of these stories do come to light. She is known in town of Old Orchard Beach as the Old Orchard Beach Sea Witch. A self-proclaimed gypsy, voodoo priestess, medium. She also on the spectrum of autism. She takes responsibility for salvaging the car and hiding it to prevent further vandalism based on the myths surrounding the car. So people would come up and visitors would come into town. Of course, you know, the ghost stories and the ghost hunts and all the stuff that they do there locally. Because the town was founded in the 1630s by Thomas Rogers, who planted an apple orchard who abandoned the orchard when it didn't grow fruit. But it kept its name, and so that's how it kind of gets its name in the 1600s. He eventually moves because he's invaded by Indians, doesn't want to have the conflict, and he moves away. And so that's kind of a little brief history of Old Orchard Beach. Old Orchard Beach is an incredible uh, town in New England. It's the last of the vintage boardwalk. Like theme parks. Yeah. It's like a little theme park. Actually, in 1902... They were the first theme park to actually have two carousels. So the first carousel in the United States of America was in Old Orchard Beach. The thing that's really cool, carousels were hand-carved wooden horses and stuff, and they had two. They had one for kids, which was Noah's Ark, and they had an adult one. So so it's basically just a, a spinning work of art. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I th- one of them still stands, the Noah's Ark, unfortunately. Um, caught fire and it burned down that and a couple other vintage rides in 1969. The Seaside Amusement Park in Old Orchard Beach is Palace Playland. It's located in Old Orchard Beach. The entire town as it stands is roughly around 9,000 to 11,000 people total that live there and their tourism is pretty hot and heavy especially during the summers and the spring months. The can see up to 1.2 to 2 million traffickers each summer. Now, Wendy does claim that was because the car was out there. So I don't really think that that's the reason. But of course, as any small town will tell you, the stories that went on with the Golden Eagle continue to this day. She had numerous videos on YouTube, which have all been taken down by the user. 
The only thing that's up on YouTube right now is her gaming videos, which is very popular on Twitch and all those types of different gaming sites. So Wendy Allen, the current owner of the Golden Eagle, does not believe that the car is possessed. Now, she does not negate the fact that the police officers did in fact kill themselves and their families because she does say that she knew them and she might have known them because her uncle or father, I think it's her uncle, who owned that car previous to her was a firefighter. And they talked about this crazy thing in the 1970s in Old Orchard Beach and how wild it was. The fire department was infuriated with the police department um, because when the Golden Eagle goes missing or stolen, the fire department, uh, and this is actually not that long ago, believe it or not, uh, the car was stolen in May 2010. The entire Old Orchard Beach Fire Department drove the town fire engines up and down Portland Avenue, tooting and blaring sirens in protest of the vandalism of the car they considered heroic for the many lives it helped save. As many as 34 suicides, beheading, death by lightning strikes are attributed to the Golden Eagle by some people, though no direct link to the car in any death, murder, or suicide has ever been determined. Lack of proof the car is killing people has never stopped people from accusing the car of killing people. In every case, locals made the claim that the person in question had made bad remarks about the car the day before they died. The biggest case, though, however, to come as we wrap this show out of Old Orchard Beach and the Golden Eagle is the Cascade Murders, something that the ID channel has picked up has done some filming on, and should be releasing in one of their many true crime shows. The Cascade Murders is a horrific tale, and there are a bunch of different spiral theories as to why Matthew Cushing did what he did. But in the traditional pattern of anyone that was in the car, drove in the car, or in this case was dared to touch the car, the events that unfolding after were salacious. According to some locals... Matthew Cushing was dared to touch the Golden Eagle. And upon touching the car, a couple days later, he goes home, Jeremy. So he goes home, and he's going to ask his stepbrother to help confront his stepfather about an impending separation. Between the mom and the stepdad. And the the stepbrother, who's younger, uh, doesn't want to do this. So what does he do? He he stabs him to death. So he initially takes a stun gun, waits for everyone to come home. So as people are coming in the house, he's stun gunning them. Then he stabs them. Then he lights the entire house on fire. And then he goes to his neighbor's house. And he tells them that a demon did it. And so this is where... The possession aspect of it comes in. This is where the lore comes in with it. And this is, everything can be looked up online. This is the Cascade murders, and the victims were his mom, his stepfather, and his stepbrother. And a dog. And a dog. He actually killed the family dog as well. So he pleaded guilty when things got turned around. It was suspected that Matthew was dealing with uh, mental illness. He was also dealing with conflicted about his sexuality, um, conflicted about a possible trip to Europe where his parents didn't want to pay for it. There was there was another one, too, um, that his stepfather was actually in a homosexual relationship and didn't he didn't like the way that his stepfather treated him and his mother. 
lots of theories, lots of craziness that surrounds the Golden Eagle, the real Golden Eagle. Is it really locked in a shed? Is it somewhere out in Old Orchard Beach in some kind of warehouse stacked up upon each other, just waiting to be driven again, just waiting to be touched, or just waiting to be loved again, to have those caring arms and nurtured soul of some mechanic that wants to put it back together. $57,000 to assemble it, another $500,000 to get it fully restored. It seems like a big, big, steep effort. But the legacy behind this car, if the legends are true, if it is what it really is, if Stephen King really did read these stories because he does live in Maine and he caught wind of Old Orchard Beach, and maybe it was influenced, I don't think any creative would ever admit to that. Because I'm sure in Stephen King's own mind, he is a very big creative and can come up with it. But sometimes we need that little push to make the story that much crazier. So Jeremy, you have a question for me. Yes, I do. If, and guys, don't go bug Wendy Allen. I'm sure she doesn't want to hear from you. But if she's listening and she would give us the okay... Would you touch the Golden Eagle? That's a good question, Jeremy. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn that over to the audience. Look for the promo for the Golden Eagle. If you had a chance, would you touch the Golden Eagle? After everything we've mentioned tonight, because the paranormal definitely can be very much a part of this show, but also very much a part of this car. Join us next time when we talk about James Dean's Little Bastard. Find us on all the social networks easily by going to hauntedgarage.net. From all of us here at Haunted Garage, we wish you high gears and high revs. I'm Frankie Campoletta. And I'm Jeremy David. We'll be seeing